Grab genommen bedauert. I didn't. And then he gone. 
He was near the end of the corridor, walking away from me. No time interval? Well, you know how it is. He was by the door, and then he wasn't. I've been trying to think ever since about what he looked like. Uh, but I can't. I know. He looked like everyone you ever knew and nobody in particular. Oh, oh yes, someone in particular, I think. But uh, it was hazy. They finished the meal in silence, and when she pressed the appropriate button, the center of the table with the remnants of the meal rolled silently back into the wall and disappeared. He turned in his chair and switched on the video. After idly watching the images form on the mock stage, he switched off again and sat with his back to it. And then he looked at the early sky ads flare up over Ford Capital on East 12th level, which was the highest they'd got. No washing up, no rattle of dishes, no smell of cooking. I've lived too long. She came and sat next to him, moving her chair through the floor slots. Stu doesn't agree with you. Maybe you should have milk and bananas on odd days. Not for me. You never see a real banana these days. They're always ready-skinned and in one of those cute little plastic jackets. What was wrong with the original skin? I'll tell you what. They couldn't charge it, that's what. They're pre-packaged mad these days. Oranges peeled so you can see the fruit all yellow and slimy. And those apples, sans peel, sans coarse, and sans taste. Or maybe you want a fresh egg so you can go old-fashioned and actually beat it up yourself in your milk. Well, the machine will humor you if you press the right button. But what do you get? You get the palest of pale yellow eggs and a transparent little doodah. It's indecent. An egg should be in a shell. She smiled at him indulgently and switched off the table lights. It was silly to waste credits. Timothy, it seemed, was in one of his grumbling moods. These were usually triggered off by indigestion and covered everything from food and other government shortcomings to the putrid programs on the video, which he never looked at anyway. Perhaps you should have a talk with the hens. And they could be eating plastic instead of grits. Hens? Hens? Get up to date, woman, for heaven's sake. You know what? I saw an egg production unit once. It's just a damn great automated hell. There were 3,000 hens there, but you couldn't see a single one. Not one. They were desquawked and built in. Machines of flesh. Just parts of a larger machine. And each one fed at precise intervals with measured quantities of food to the neck. What does a hen want with head or eyes? It doesn't need to peck grit either. The soft eggs drop into neat little plastic containers which are whipped away by the belt to be sealed and stamped. When the production figures decline for any unit, it is automatically replaced. And still you don't see a hen. Just a metal box wired and tubed and inside is a legless, featherless, headless creature. A bit of equipment that wore out. So I don't like eggs without the shells. Oh, you're making it up. No one would be so wicked. She tried to think when she had last seen a shell egg, but gave it up. Something should be done about it. That's up to the youngsters. But they won't do anything. They have that mindless look about them. The young always seem like that to the old. Oh, they'll be all right, now you see. Maybe they'll blow us all up and go off somewhere else to live on an acre apiece and a cow. 
By God, if only I were young again, that's what I'd do. I'd blow it so high it would rain plastic-creating people for three days solid. What good are we doing? What's the use of it all? You've been missing attendances at the clinic. You shouldn't do that. You don't want to be like, uh, Mm. like you know. One of those. Mm -hmm. No, I don't. When I feel it coming on, I'm going to walk off the level. She looked at him a trifle anxiously. The telltale signs of neglect were there on his thin, almost waxen face, as though a warm hand had been passed over the image of a man erasing his personality. You really have to go to the vats very soon, Timothy. It must be three years since you were there last. Five years and some odd days. You could do with some treatment yourself. Oh, I'm going this afternoon. Forget it. I went along yesterday. The vats are closed for extensive alterations, or so the notice says. They've been closed for over a week. You mean you can't get treatment until the stupid alterations are finished? That's just an excuse. It's all over the city that the lunar strike petered out. The total stock of selenite could be heaped on a dinner plate. Process that and you're left with maybe a teaspoon of Catalyst 49. Just about enough for three full treatments. I videoed the appointments bureau six times before I finally got through. I was told that they are only doing emergencies, but my name would be placed on the priority list. They'll get in touch with me in due course, I don't think. It's my guess that the emergencies are really private stockholders. He shifted his position so that he faced the video and snapped the news flash button. A smooth-faced announcer with a little brush mustache was halfway through an item on traffic casualties. Timothy switched off. 50% up on last week. With the birth rate falling the way it is and the youngsters killing themselves off wholesale, this will be a world of ghosts before another century has passed. Unless, of course, Professor Gorgon is successful with his artificial womb. In that case, we can look forward to having a race of zombies to nod at. Those of us who are left, that is. With a bit of luck, we'll be dead by then, though. And you shouldn't talk like that, Timothy. Better that than being a kind of race blocked off from both life and death and existing in some sort of limbo. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. There's not much else to do, is there, at our age? Anyway, I've come up with a kind of theory. He drew an imaginary line on the table with his forefinger. The life force carrier wave. Now we'll have some modulation. His finger traced this up and down and along the carrier wave. You know what that is? It's a speech pattern wave. It's the word. A single word spoken by the Almighty. Timothy placed an imaginary dot near where he thought he'd drawn the line. A point of light. Mrs. Gregwald watched with a faint, puzzled frown. But the frown was for the closed rejuvenation clinics. Worrying about this, she hardly heard what he was saying and wouldn't have understood anyway. He gave a quick side glance to ensure that he had her attention and then tapped the dot again. A point of life which moves gradually upwards and forwards as the creature matures. The whole wave train feeds it at first and then it begins to miss the shorter peaks, which is when time seems to be growing faster and then faster, still as we grow older and older. When we are really old, only the longer peaks feed life into us. Normally, Around this time, we'd be old and tottery and a fair target for everything lethal. In fact, a living write-off. 
Uh, yes, yes, go on. Nowadays, however, the catalyst treatment can pull you back. But if after a great many years you stop the treatment, what happens? What happens is that you shoot up and away from the life force modulation, if you see what I mean, until just the tip of an occasional peak fires your conscious mind, and then only the tip of an exceptionally long peak. Eventually, we don't know when because we don't know how long the longest peaks are, we should just fade into oblivion. As it is, there is a period when we are just a sprawl in the great gaps between the longer peaks, and during that time, we aren't here at all. We, I mean they, of course, those poor ghosts we see all around us these days and almost recognize. They exist only in spasms, and even though we may have known them, we find it impossible to recollect anything about them. Oh, they are never completely forgotten, just unremembered. They are beyond help and too insubstantial even for death to claim. You sound just like the man on the video. He was on last week sometime, and he was explaining it all with diagrams and things and squiggly little bits that didn't make any kind of sense at all. But he said that the apparitions... <clears throat> he called them that. He said the apparitions were increased, but not to be frightened because they were harmless. Did he? I, I didn't see it, but I heard someone talking about it. And it, it set me thinking. There was a haziness about him, and she began to think of the dog that had been killed in the crash and wondered why she should be more concerned about an animal than the human beings killed at the same time. It was its essential innocence, of course. It wasn't in any way concerned with the mechanical muddle that man had gotten himself into. She looked at the empty chair next to her, and something flickered in her mind some vague memory that wouldn't reveal itself. It was almost as though someone should have been sitting there with her. Nonsense, of course, she told herself. There had never been anyone. She got to her feet slowly, almost painfully, and looked out of the picture window. Just below, on the near level, someone was looking up at her. She wondered who it could be and decided it looked like the man she had seen standing outside the door of the flat earlier that day. Then he was gone to reappear further down the level. It was one of them, she thought, and felt troubled. She looked around the room, and a little frown creased her rapidly aging features. There seemed to be something missing somehow, and she sighed. <sighs> I'll have to get a little dog. On level 17, East Block, where the flat building that housed the rejuvenation clinic was situated. There was a small crowd of people of both sexes assembled in a rough queue. Timothy Gregwall joined them. Uh, what goes? Have they got the vats working? The other man shook his head and told Timothy that they were issuing euthanasia permits. So it had come to that. Timothy looked around at the busy levels at the tall buildings, the cloud toppers piercing the huge layered structures, and at the linking flyovers and pedways, bright with the late spring sunshine. He watched the hordes of jets and hover cabs and the stripped-down sporter flips darting like dragonflies between the shining facade of glass and plascrete. And suddenly, for the first time in years, he realized, with a little tug at the heart, that it meant something to him. 
he didn't want to leave it. Idiot, he thought. You sentimental old idiot. There's no room here for you. Your world is dead and buried. All this belongs to the younger ones. God help them. A young couple passed, arms around each other, and glancing towards the queue, laughed loudly. The young man said something that Timothy took to be derisive, and they laughed again. But the oldsters queuing for death ignored them. They had passed the point of no return and felt themselves already dead. Timothy Gregwald turned on his heel and walked away. He felt that the important thing now was not to panic and to try and preserve some semblance of human dignity. He wasn't queuing for permission to die. If he reached the point where it was either that or worse, then he would do it in his own way and under his own steam. Out of the corner of his eye, he noticed a tall, wavering shape that shifted its position constantly over to his left. One of them, he thought, a lonely ghost looking for solace. On a sudden impulse, he walked to the edge of the level and looked over the parapet. Here, there was a sheer drop of nearly a thousand feet. He put one leg over and sat on the smooth plascrete. And he tried to bring the other leg over to join its preparatory to a plunge that would take him into an abyss of fear and pain and then oblivion. But he couldn't do it. Haven't got the nerve. A uniformed patrolman came over to him, hand resting lightly on his stun gun. Uh, not that way, old-timer. It makes such a mess. Uh, what's the problem, anyway? Credits or the clinic? Timothy brought his leg back over the parapet and stood up. Neither. Just lack of guts. He walked away. The patrolman's mocking voice came after him. Hey, uh, maybe you want to try a Mother Riley special. That's our problem just now. He was referring to a drink consisting of three parts of cheap wine with one part of pure alcohol and a dash of wood spirit. It was much favored by the city's poor drunks and the flotsam that could be found in every niche and doorway and almost every level, despite the government's massive welfare programs. The trouble was, Timothy reflected, that most of the money was being siphoned off and into the pockets of a rat pack of professional leeches and greedy entrepreneurs. Just the same, he decided, the drink might help with that. In an effort to combat alcoholism and its attendant ills, the authorities had opened a number of bars as an experiment. The idea was to wean the bulk of the addicts from the more lethal concoctions. Ironically, they had been taken up by the bored but respectable straight of society, and no member of the submerged tenth would have dared to show his nose in any of them, even supposing he could pay the exorbitant prices now demanded. Timothy called in at Randy's bar and asked the white-coated barman for a double scotch. He drank this off almost in a gulp while the man passed his credit card through the register. Then he ordered another. The barman looked sympathetic. Well, be shipping a load in any day now. Shows, huh? Uh, look, I've had over a dozen in this morning. All worried the hell about the same thing. The clinic shut down. We must be your only customers. The barman took up a spotless glass and polished it. Yeah, it brightens up towards evening. 
Uh, people calling in on their way home from business mostly, but you know, later on we get crowded. I have to switch over to auto service. <laughs> Can't cope with it on my own. You know, it makes me wonder sometimes what blessed use I am. The auto can handle it right through. The human touch. This place would be nothing without the human touch. Will you have one with me? No. Yeah, thank you, sir. The barman passed Timothy's card through the register again and transferred the drink price to his tip credit. Then he poured a double whiskey for his customer and ginger ale for himself out of a similar bottle. Well, to your good health, sir. And here's to the clinics opening again shortly. They drank to that. Yeah, that's what the whole damn setup lacks. The human touch. That's what makes this place such an oasis. Should have come here more often. But now I won't be able to. Oh, look, any day now they'll be shipping it in. You see if they don't. Mines are worked out. They were just pockets anyway. The only deliveries are still going through are from private stockpiles. The barman nodded and began to polish the same glass all over again. Eh, you tumble to it. Man, I hear a lot in this bar. People forget you're around when they've had a few, you know. That's what it is, Dad. They're slinging in the private stuff because, because that's all there is. These characters were allowed to buy themselves in to ease government expenditure and... They were able to stockpile about 20% of the raw selenite. And on top of that, they took 10% of earth deliveries in lieu of freightage for their own stock. And now these boys are the only ones with any selenite. Only they're not selling. They're keeping it for their old age and their children's old age, if they have any children. Yeah, that's it, but what can you do about it? Get drunk, maybe. It's about all. The barman put the glass under the counter somewhere. Well, what about a massive dose of anabolic steroids? I've heard they're treating some people with that and a few other drugs. They used to get some pretty spectacular results with those things a few years ago. I'm past that. Long past it. Timothy drank the rest of the whiskey and slid the glass across the counter. The barman looked at him pityingly. As he moved away, the room shifted slightly, and he was outside without knowing how he got there. Just missed a couple of low peaks. No need to get panicky, though. There's, there's still a chance. Timothy saw the same patrolman approaching him and turned and walked the other way. He was staggering a bit because of the unaccustomed drinking bout. But looking back, he saw that the patrolman had stopped to watch a helicab, which was coming down in the restricted parkway. He moved off purposely towards it, and Timothy began to run towards the edge of the level. Without any hesitation this time, he threw himself over the low parapet and fell, turning over and over to a projecting lower level. Then, miraculously, he was walking away, unhurt. It had happened after all. He had just been too late. And he was between the peaks, a reluctant immortal. He felt the hard laughter inside him. Nothing could kill him now. After this, he just seemed to wander about in the soundless world which came to noisy life and occasional bursts when he hit an exceptionally long peak. 
He had a sense of timelessness and was conscious of being everywhere at once. Outside the rejuvenation clinics, looking up at his apartment, gazing at strange people whom he felt he should know, and seeing only vague recognition mixed with fear in their faces. Walking along all the levels, standing in all the bars, and peering at everyone from everywhere in the city. This awful ubiquity filled him with black horror. Sometimes, sometimes he was aware of being outside the solar system altogether, journeying through the galaxy with the ice-cold radiance of the unblinking stars as only company, and this was worse. His personality was reduced to shards and then to dust, and the dust scattered over the cosmic wastes and along the star trails. He saw the myriad planets teeming with strange life forms, experienced the impact of a million alien cultures, and was afraid in every part of him. The last enemy was not that which he had expected. It was an awareness of the white-hot hate of truth. Not man's truth, but the truth that was the original chaos. The truth that he had always rejected with all of his being. For man had risen above this, molding it to his own image and burying in his subconscious what wouldn't fit. Suddenly, and quite without warning, he beheld the real. It was like the lifting of a third curtain, the truth behind the truth behind the truth. The glimpse that he had was of pure beauty, terrible to behold. He fled across the galaxies, and with each screaming mote of his being, prayed that it would end. Nothing now to be added or taken away, O oh Lord, he prayed, except awareness. Let me not be forever and forever. Somehow it was borne upon him that it could not end like this. It was the final disintegration before the ultimate integration. Gradually, as the realization came, the fear went. And then he knew. He was an integral part of a multidimensional pattern, a part of everyone who had gone before and who would come after, before man even, and after man. That terrifying ubiquity, fading now that he had become orientated to something greater than self, was a manifestation of the many facets of that part of the universal mind that he had occupied as an entity and enclosed. After the first death, there can be no other. Only the scattered light returning to its source. He felt a drawing in of his fragmented personality, and he was content. Somewhere at the center of this spiritual lodestone, serene 
and ineffable would be the word before it was made flesh. The healing word, the world's end, and a new beginning. edited by Donald A. Walheim and Terry Carr. This is Michael Hansen. Reading with me were Jay Fitz and Harvey Black. Technical operation for this broadcast by Mary Kay Payne. Mindwebs is a production of WHA Radio in Madison, a service of University of Wisconsin Extension. <laughs> <laughs>